All right. Well, we are going to study tonight on this matter of Christology. Christology. Uh, Matthew chapter number 16 is where we're going to begin. And so if you want to flip over in your, your Bible to Matthew chapter number 16, that's the first verses that we'll look at. And then we'll be all over the place uh, tonight, and I'll be mentioning a lot of verses um, just as in passing as we work through it. Um, but uh, Matthew chapter number 16 is where we're going to begin. And so the little fold-over things, you start on the inside, and then the back page is actually the... Uh, the end of it, and just uh, just so that it's clear, because uh, we've had a different different style every week. It seems like so. Trying to figure something out, but uh, Matthew chapter number sixteen, the Bible says in verse number thirteen, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, "Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am?" And they said, "Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets." He saith unto them. But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Tonight as we dive into Christology, it's a fairly self-explanatory about what this is. It is the study of Christ. The study of Christ. As we think about Christology, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ uh, Jesus Christ, it's a name that divides. No name in history has been surrounded by as much controversy and as much division as Jesus Christ. You can pray in any other name and not have any issues, but if you pray in the name of Jesus, you are inviting division and attack. He is the person that separates biblical faith from all other faiths that are out there, uh, all other religion, I guess we could say, that are out there, is Jesus Christ. He's the one that separates. If we ask the world, much, much like Christ mentioned here, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And the same thing was asked during Christ's day. Christ, in fact, was the one that posed the question, Whom do men say that, that I, the Son of Man, am? And the disciples responded, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. No doubt, just like in the day of, of Jesus, some would say, if you ask that question today, that he's a good person. Uh, many would say that he was a prophet. Some would ignore all evidence historically and scientifically and say that he didn't even exist, uh, which is just foolish because historically it's proven that a man named Jesus lived, whether they believed that he was who he said he was or not. Others would dare say that he is a God, but wouldn't go so far as to call him the God. By far, the most important question is not who does the world say that Jesus is, but most importantly, who do you say that he is? Who do I say that he is? Exactly. The most important question, who is Christ to me? And as Alice, you just said, he's the Son of God. And we're going to see that tonight. He, he is more than just a prophet. He's more than just a good person. First uh, Timothy chapter number three tells us this: Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And if the Bible tells us that we are going to suffer persecution for Christ, it probably would be a good idea to know who that person is and to know as much about him as we can. If we're going to suffer for Christ, we should know about him and we should know him. So for a few moments tonight, let's learn about Jesus. The first thing that we're going to see is that he was 100% man. He was 100% man. Must understand, to understand Christ, we must understand the humanity of Christ. 
his humanity. Philippians 2.7, uh, you'll see there is one of the, the verses that are mentioned. But Philippians 2.7 says, But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a serpent, and was made in the likeness of men. So as we think about the humanity of Christ, what are some things that we know about him? Well, first of all, he had an earthly birth. An earthly birth. In Luke chapter number 2, verse number 7, it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Of course, we know that Christ was born. Uh, he didn't just appear. Uh, Christ had an earthly birth. And this is key, because to be a human, you have to have you have to be born, all right? Nobody, uh, contrary to what some of us may think, um, nobody is hatched, okay? Um, I know uh, we, we, I would tease my, my siblings whenever we were growing up and saying, well, we don't know where you came from. You know, um, I think the spaceship just dropped you off, you know? And, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's fun to, to joke around, but the truth is, is everybody is born if you are a human being, and for Christ to be a human, to his humanity, he had to be born. Not only was he born, but he hungered. He hungered, the Bible tells us. This is an attribute of humanity. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered, Matthew 4.2 tells us. Uh, Jesus Christ knew what it meant to be hungry. Um, I, I think that uh, this is probably the attribute of Christ that I most identify with, um, you know, to be hungry. No, uh, it, we, we all understand that's, that's a frailty of the human body that we need food to eat. I mean, it's just key. And Jesus Christ hungered. Not only did he hunger, but the Bible tells us that he thirsted. He thirsted. Uh, John 19, 28 says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, as he's hanging on, hanging on the cross, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst, and I need a drink, I'm thirsty. It said that you can go something like seven days without food, but you can only go a couple of days without water. Uh, you have to have something to drink. Uh, in our human bodies, we thirst. And Jesus Christ, thus proving that he was a human, that he was a man, he thirsted. Not only did he hunger, he thirst, but he wept. He wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. The 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 verse that uh, is the easiest for us to memorize. Uh, Jesus wept. Two words. And uh, what uh, what an important thing. But Jesus had emotion. He he experienced emotion, just like we experience emotion. Uh, we have feelings. We have these things. We talked about them on Sunday. But Jesus, just like we do, he wept. Uh, not only did he weep, he he slept. He slept. Jesus had to sleep. He became tired. In, Acts, or excuse me, in Matthew 8, 24, it says, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the, sh uh, the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Uh, Jesus was asleep at the bottom of the, sh of the ship. Uh, Jesus would oftentimes get tired. He'd get weary, the Bible would tells us. And uh, those are all attributes, again, of Christ's humanity. And then lastly, he understands all of the physical, physical struggles that you and I face. He understands all the physical struggles that you and I face. In Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 15, we'll mention this verse a few times tonight, but it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, okay, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We know that Christ uh, went through the exact same struggles that, that we may have. Now, whether it be a struggle at a job, or a struggle with a spouse, or a struggle with in-laws. Uh, the, these are all struggles that, that we might experience in, in our life. I, I heard somebody ask the question one time, what's the difference between in-laws and outlaws? Anybody know? The difference between them? 
not mine, yours. Uh, the difference between in-laws and outlaws is outlaws are wanted. Anyway, okay, so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll let that one soak for a little while. But anyway, uh, listen, we all have struggles, whether they're relational or whether they're just physical problems that we have. I, I'm learning that the longer that I'm on this earth, the more that my body wears down. And uh, some of you have far more experience than me. And, uh, you know, you understand that our bodies, they wear out, that, that we have struggles. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, as a 100% man, could identify with the struggles that we faced in his humanity. And yet, he has proven victorious over any temptation of sin or uh, any, any temptation to sin. Uh, Jesus proved victorious as a human, as a man. So he is 100% man, but the second part is that he's 100% God. He's 100% God. That's important for us to remember as well. I know the math doesn't seem to add up to 100% uh, coming together to equal uh, all, all the same in one person, two things that seem to be contradictory, but Jesus Christ is 100% man and he is 100% God. He is the perfection of both. Uh, Jesus demonstrated his humanity for all to see, but he also clearly showed his deity. And these attributes that we're going to look at, we mentioned many of them last week as we talked about theology, study of God, God the Father. Uh, these attributes are also found in Jesus Christ. And if there's something that is attacked more than anything today, uh, it's the deity of Christ. It's Christ as God. Uh, people many times from other religions are more than happy to stand by and say, well, Jesus was just a man. But if you point to Jesus and say, no, 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 he's God and he's equal as God, uh, that's where uh, the, the problems come in, right? Uh, that's where you're going to have a lot of pushback. In fact, in, in this Bible, this is one of my, my older Bibles that I have. I took it and uh, uh, I actually wrote down in the back all these passages. I know it's so small I can't even read it now. But all these passages and things dealing with the deity of Christ. Because someone told, this one, told me one time, listen, if there's one thing that's going to be attacked, it's going to be Christ and proving that he is God. And so I wanted to know these things. And if I didn't know them, I wanted to know where to look to find him quickly. And so I would, I would encourage us, listen, uh, focus these things, circle the verses uh, that, that maybe you need to go back and look at because these are important attributes to prove that Jesus is God. First of all, he is omnipotent. Omnipotent. Spelled like omnipotent. Okay, he's, he's omnipotent. Now, what does that mean? It means he's all-powerful. He's powerful. In Matthew chapter number 8, verse number 27, the Bible says, But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Christ had power over the weather, over the, the sea, over the wind. Um, that's not something that a normal man can do. I mean, we've had a lot of wind the last couple of days. If I went out and said, Stop! nothing would happen. The wind would continue to blow in my face. You know, that's just how it would work. Why? Because I'm a man. But Jesus wasn't just a man. He was God. Uh, Matthew 28, verse number 18, Jesus, before he ascended, he said this, uh, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Uh, what was he saying? He's, he's all powerful. That's who Jesus is. He, is. he is powerful, omnipotent God. Not only is he omnipotent, but he's omniscient. Omniscient. This has to do with him being all-knowing. The disciples professed in, in John 16, 30. They said, now, we, we, now are we sure that thou knowest all things? And he said, we, we know that we, we realize that you know everything. There's nothing hidden from you. You understand you know everything. In Luke 6, 8, the Bible says, but he knew their thoughts. Jesus knew the people's thoughts even before they communicated them. He could read their minds. Uh, there are people uh, that... that, uh, that 
that pretend they can read minds, and the truth is, is they are just making assumptions. Now, uh, if you have a spouse or your children or something like that, sometimes you can look at them and you can say, you know what they're thinking, you know what's on their mind, right? Uh, you know that we we can kind of get that, but to to truly know everyone's mind at all times, that was Jesus. Jesus was omniscient; he knew all things and all people. Not only is he omniscient, but he's omnipresent. He's omnipresent. John 3.13 is an interesting passage. We often go right to John 3.16, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But John 3.13, as he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus says to Nicodemus, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, speaking of himself, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. This is interesting, because Jesus Christ on earth, speaking to Nicodemus, speaks about himself and says that Jesus Christ is in heaven. And uh, for anybody else, that would be a major contradiction. Okay, if I came to you tonight and I said, you know, well, you know, Kyle is at home sleeping right now. You may look and think, yeah, you might be a few screws, you know, loose, you know, maybe a, a few fries short of a Happy Meal, right? You know, and, and you're looking and saying, okay, something's, something's not right there. Something's not connecting. Why? Because I'm standing in front of you, okay? Uh, so clearly, I can't be at home at the same time. Why? Because I'm not omnipresent. I'm not God. But Jesus stands there in front of Nicodemus, and he says, Hey, listen, not only am I speaking to you now, but I'm also in heaven right now. Why? Because he's omnipresent. He, he can be anywhere at all times, all the time. He's omnipresent. He's eternal. He's eternal. Another attribute of God. In John 1, 1, we know the verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know in verse number 14 of John 1, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten, the Father full of grace and truth. So we know that Jesus Christ was at the beginning. He was a part of creation. In John 8, 58, Jesus said unto the people, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, what was he saying? He was, he was identifying with the, the, the voice of God from Exodus chapter number 3 when, when God spoke out from that bush and said, I am that I am. Uh, here, uh, Jesus, as he speaks, he says, listen, before Abraham was even born, I am. He didn't say, I was, which is, is interesting. He could have said, uh, you know, before Abraham was, I was. Well, no, no, no. Before Abraham was, I am. What was he saying? He was saying, listen, I was self-existent there. I am existent now, and I will forever be. I always was. Uh, he is eternal. In Colossians 1, we've been talking on Sunday mornings, and we've been working through Colossians 1, but verse number 17, it says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He was before everything, and uh, it's, it's by the power of Christ that things still hold uh, the way that they do. So he's eternal. And the next, he's unchanging. He is unchanging. This is, this is key. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, we know that the Bible tells us that, that the Lord doesn't change, that he changes not. And in Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 8, the Bible says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same. And uh, what a blessing that is to know that as well. Next, we see that he fulfills prophecy. Fulfills prophecy. And these are just a few. There are so many more that we could point to. But these are just a couple just uh, right off the back that you can go to. And if somebody says, well, how do you know that Jesus is God? You can go through and say, listen, he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter number 22, verse number 16, we find that uh, Jesus' hands were pierced and his feet were pierced. And in Psalm 22, 16, it says, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of wicked have enclosed me. 
they pierced my hands and my feet. This was a, a messianic uh, prophecy in the Psalms, a messianic psalm. And uh, it was a direct reference to what Christ was going to go through, and Christ fulfilled that as he was, he was crucified on the cross. He was rejected, rejected. In Isaiah 53, verse number 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and was esteemed, and we esteemed him not. So we see that Jesus was rejected, just like the Bible said that he was going to be. Not only that, he was born in Bethlehem. Born in Bethlehem. In Micah 5, 2, the Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose things, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. And this was a, 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 a prophecy that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And sure enough, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And, and at Christmas time, oftentimes we'll look and see uh, kind of all the things that took place, even to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born there. And some of the things that took place, it was just, it was an incredible orchestration of God's hand uh, for those things to even happen. And, and thus Jesus proving, uh, once again, prophecy as he was born in Bethlehem. He died for our sins. We know that. The Bible tells us that he did that. In Isaiah 53, verses 8, 8 and 10, really, it says, He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his, his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, verse number 10 says. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. We see there in those two verses, the Bible says that he, was, he did that, that he was cut off, that he was crucified. Why? For our sins, the Bible tells us. And then we see the seed of woman, and we've talked about that before. But in Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 15, really we have the first example that, that the Lord always knew, uh, always knew what was going to take place, and he, always had, he already had a plan in place for what he was going to do. In Genesis 3, 15, as, he, as God speaks to, uh, to Adam and to Eve, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Uh, interesting uh, that there was uh, that the Bible refers to her seed, um, and uh, what an interesting thing that that is because of the seed of woman, uh, Christ was going to be born, and not of the seed of a man. Why? Because he wasn't going to receive the sinfulness of man on him. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost that we know, and therefore Christ was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Next, not only did he fulfill prophecy, but he is called God. He is called. God. And this is, this is super important. John chapter number 20, verse number 28. When Thomas, uh, we know the first time that Christ arose and he appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't a part of it. And the disciples went to him and said, Thomas, you, you're never going to believe it. Christ is alive. He's risen again. And he said, except I see him with my own eyes, except I touch Put my hands in his, or put my hands in his hands, and the scars of his hands, and and into his side. I won't believe. And then the day finally came. There they are in that room again, and all of a sudden Jesus appears to them again. And Thomas uh, is there, and, and Jesus looks at him and says, "Oh, Thomas, you know you've doubted me." He said, "Thomas, come on over here." He said, "Touch my hands. Touch my side." And Thomas responds in in John twenty verse number twenty eight, and he answered and said unto him, "My Lord, and my God." He calls him, he attributes him, Jehovah, he calls him God. Uh, that's, that's attributed by Thomas. In 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16, Paul talks about it. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God 
was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Well, who in the world could that be? Jesus. Of course, Paul looks and he says, God was manifest in the flesh. It was God. Jesus is God. Hebrews 1.8 is probably one of the most powerful, um, really, uh, uh, pictures that we have that points to Jesus being God. Because it's God the Father speaking. Uh, this is an interesting one. If you've never seen this before, this is kind of cool. Hebrews, uh, flip over to Hebrews real quick, because I think this is kind of interesting to see. So Hebrews, uh, there at the end of, end of your Bibles, uh, right before James. <laughs> Like that's going to help you. Hebrews uh, is where we're going to be. Hebrews chapter number one. Look over there real quick. This is kind of cool. I, I heard a preacher one time because there's a lot of debate out there. Most of the New Testament, there's there's people that you, you, whenever you read it, it'll say, well, this was written by Paul or Peter or you know, and, and they'll actually state their names. Well, Hebrews is one is the only book in the New Testament where it, it doesn't just come out and say this was written by. So and so. Now, most believe, many, many believe that it was written by, he, by, by Hebrews. Most believe that it was written by Paul, um, but uh, there, there's, there's uh, some that, that disagree with that. But, but here's the key. Uh, I, I heard a preacher, he was talking to, he went, to, he went and he was preaching in a, in a foreign village, in a foreign country, and it was this, this, uh, this smaller, I think it was in the Philippines, so I don't think it was necessarily a foreign, but it was, it was in the Philippines and and he was there, and, and they were having this conversation about uh, who had written the, 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 the book of Hebrews. And uh, one of the, uh, the young men said, well, I know who it was. And, uh, and, of course, this preacher that's been around for years and years and years and, you know, a little, little further up in age, he's thinking, oh, great, yeah, who, this kid, you know, who wrote Hebrew? And so he said, well, okay, yeah, who, who was it? He said, uh, well, it says right in it. No, it doesn't. I've read the book of Hebrews so many times, it doesn't say who the author of Hebrews was. And he says, it's right there, it's the very first word of Hebrews. Look what it says, God. <laughs> Isn't that a novel thought? Uh, the, the, the Bible is written by God, and listen, Hebrews is given to us by God. In fact, it's God that's speaking here at the beginning of Hebrews. And as God is speaking, he comes to verse number 8, and listen to what he says. But unto the Son he saith, he says this to, to, to his Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. What a powerful thought. God the Father looks at Jesus Christ the Son, and he says, you are God. I mean, I don't really know how much more of a stamp of approval that you can get. I mean, it doesn't really get any uh, more, more uh, uh, verified than God the Father saying, this is God. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good stamp of approval. It's a pretty good verification right there. God calling his son God. But in case you don't, uh, you know, our, our old Jehovah's Witness friends uh, that don't believe in the New Testament, uh, we can go over to the Old Testament. So flip over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we'll, we'll look at a couple of these. We've got a little bit of time here. So we're, we're going to flip over to a couple of these. Jeremiah chapter 23. Give you a second to find that. Jeremiah 23. Anytime that I have an opportunity to, to witness to somebody that's Jehovah's Witness, I, I immediately go right here to, to, to Jeremiah 23. Because as they would say, um, they, they believe that the Bible has been changed because uh, they said, well, it took out the, the, the name Jehovah out of the Old Testament. Uh, now, here's the key. The, the name Jehovah in the Old Testament uh, is, is the name Yahweh. Yahweh. And the word name Yahweh is made up of four Hebrew consonants, okay? There aren't vowels in Hebrew, so it's made of four Hebrew consonants. And I forget exactly, I think it's, uh, I forget exactly what the, I think it's like, it's like a Y-W-H-Y or something like that is, is the four consonants that, that make up the name Yahweh. 
okay, in the, in the Old Testament. So whenever they took the Old Testament and they, they made his name Lord, what did they do? They took those four continents, consonants, and uh, they made those four uh, letters, L-O-R-D, and they capitalized them. So anytime we see capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, we know that that is Jehovah, okay? And so if you come to, to Jeremiah chapter number 23 and you look at verse number 1, the Bible says this, and, and you, can, you can come to a Jehovah's Witness and you can show them this. Woe to be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the capital L-O-R-D, Lord, Jehovah. There it is, okay. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the capital L-O-R-D. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whither I have driven them, and will bring them again to the, their fold, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the capital L-O-R-D. Verse number five, this is where it gets real good. Behold, the days come, saith the capital L-O-R-D, Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous capital B, branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in all the earth. Listen, there's no argument. I've, I've stood there with a Jehovah's Witness and I have asked them, who is that referring to? The branch of David. Who is that? And they will tell you by their own mouth, well, that's Jesus. Because that's who it was. That's who this is talking about. The righteous branch is Jesus. There's no question about who it is. But here's the problem. Here's what really throws them for a loop. It's verse number six. Listen to what it says. In his days, uh, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called. Oh boy, here we go. The capital L-O-R-D, our righteousness. And about that point, you say, now who is that again? And, uh, and they just look at you and say, well, we'll flip over here and let's look at this passage. You say, no, 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 come back to this one. I want you to tell me, who is this? Because the Bible tells us, according to this, that there's a righteous branch who you said was Jesus. And the Bible says that this is going to be his name, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, our righteousness. Well, listen, it's seen in the Old Testament. It's seen in the New Testament. Jesus is called Lord. Jesus is called God. There is no question that Jesus is God. One more attribute. One more. He is sinless. He is sinless. Maybe the one attribute above all that prove that Jesus is God is the fact that he lived on this earth as a man and yet he never sinned. Uh, listen, we, we can try, I mean, if we try real hard, we can make it through a couple hours without sinning. There may even have been a, a day or two where we sat at home and we did nothing, and uh, maybe we made it through the day without sinning. But listen, you don't make it very far into the second day before, listen, you, you, you fall into it, okay? Uh, we're all sinners, the Bible tells us. We've all sinned, we've all come short of the glory of God, and, and, and we are all sinners. But Jesus wasn't a sinner. Jesus never sinned. And that's one of the things that makes him, it's a proof that he is God. 1 Peter 2.22 says this, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Jesus never sinned. That verse again, Hebrews 4.15, we mentioned it before. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Jesus Christ never sinned. 
And that's an attribute, an attribute that only can be applied to God. So we see that Jesus is 100% God. He's 100% man. And finally tonight, we ask the question, why is this important for me? <laughs> we, we said last week, uh, at the end of a message, uh, at the end of our Bible reading, it's good to say, so what? Not in a, in a, in a, in a rude way, not in, a, in an irreverent way, but to ask the question, so what does that mean for me? What, what do I do with this? And, and that's the question. What, why is this important for me? As we think about Christology, we think about him being 100% man, 100% God. Why is this important? Well, while it's great to know facts about Jesus, uh, that's important. In fact, there's a, a, there's a, a, a study called apologetics. It's, it's defending what you believe, defending your faith. Lord willing, uh, next year, hopefully, we're going to have an apologetics conference, and we're going to have some, a couple of guys come in that are going to be teaching on some things that, that are going to be more of those, those things about how to defend and stand for your faith. That's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. And while that's so important it's to, to know how to defend our faith and to know the facts about these things, the Bible is very clear that we ought to be ready to give an answer to every man concerning the hope that it lieth within us. That's, that's important. But most importantly, what does this all mean to you? What's it all mean to me? Well, here's the key. He, first of all, is our mediator. He is our mediator. First Timothy chapter number two, verse number five says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because he is our mediator. Now, this is, this is so interesting. Listen to some of these things. And these are just, this is just a snippet. Some of the things that were done in the scripture at the name of Jesus. This is cool. In Acts 2.38, the Bible says, And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 3.6, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give you, I, I, I give... But such as I give, I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Uh, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, he was given the ability to walk. In Acts 9.29, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, speaking boldly in Jesus' name. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you, Paul says. But ye were washed, ye were sanctified, but ye are justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of our God. In Ephesians 5.20, it says, Giving thanks all, always for all things unto God the Father. How? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 10, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And in Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatsoever ye do, in word or in, do, in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This is why when we pray, we finish with, in Jesus' name, amen. Because Jesus is our mediator, and it is through Jesus that there is power in our prayers. What a blessing to know that. That, that when, when we pray and we, when we uh, solicit the power of Jesus at the end of that prayer, when we say, in Jesus' name, I am praying these things, there is power in that. And that's why it's so important. And that's the reason it's so divisive. is because in the name of Jesus, there is power. And there's power to convict. There's power to confront. There's power to divide. And, and when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's powerful. He's our mediator. Listen, he's our savior. He's our Savior. Second, Second Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Uh, because of Jesus and his death on the cross, we have salvation. We have eternity in heaven. He's our Savior. He's our mediator. He's our Savior. And listen, he is our victory. He is our victory. Philippians chapter number 2 is, is probably one of my favorite passages to go to in the New Testament as we think about Christ and his power. In Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 5, the Bible says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. There it is. He's equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. This is what he did. He took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. There we are again. His humanity. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible has an interesting word in verse number 6. It says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. The form of a servant. What was that talking about there? It's talking about a covering that Jesus took on. Okay, he, he took on a covering there to be made into this form of a servant. Uh, he veiled his deity as a, as a man, as a human. And, but listen, when he died on that cross... His, his veil was, was torn. His veil was rent. And we know this because in Mark chapter number 15, verse 38, the centurion is standing there and, and he looks up and, and, uh, and he says, uh, I, I, I can't believe this. He said, uh, the, when the centurion was stood over against it, saw that he so cried and gave up the ghost. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. He said, this man, th th there's no question. He, he was the son of God. Here's, here's interesting. In the verse right before it, in verse number 38, the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. It's, it's, it's significant why we've mentioned before that it was torn from the top all the way to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. This, this, this material that was inches thick, uh, that was just absolutely, I mean, just incredible. No way that it could just, just happen. Uh, I mean, God the Father separated it, signifying that, listen, no longer did you have to go through a man, through a priest, to have access to the Father. Why? Because the God-man, Jesus Christ, had just died on that cross so that now we could have access to God. Why? Because He is our mediator. Because He is our Savior. Because He is our victory. And that is so powerful. We have victory in the name of Jesus. When we're struggling, we can come to the Father in Jesus' name. When we're hurting, we can come to the Father in Jesus' name. Through the mountaintops, the valleys of life, we can always remember that we have victory in Jesus' name. So tonight, as we finish up, again, that question, who is Jesus to you? Oh, I hope he's so much more than just a Savior, so much more than just a God, so much more than, than, than a victory. No, no, I hope he's yours, because that's what he desires. He wants to have that personal relationship with you, 
for you to know him in that way. And it's so powerful when you have that. I hope you can say that he is your victory, he is your mediator, and he is your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to be able to open your word tonight for a few moments. I pray now that as we think about Christology, we think about the study of Christ, I pray that this would just be the tip of the iceberg. But God, even tomorrow we'd wake up and we'd dive into your word in a deeper way and just continue to know you in a deeper, more passionate way in our own lives. Thank you, God, for, for Jesus Christ coming to this earth, for knowing exactly everything that we've ever faced and ever will face, and, and yet, God, being able to go through it and, and yet without any sin. And God, we, we can have that confidence that we can come to him, and, and he, he knows those times that we're hurting. He knows those, those sufferings that we're facing. He sympathizes with us. He, he loves us. He cares for us. And I pray, God, that we would come to him and we would bring our request to him. Thank you, God, that he is the mediator for us the example for us. And I pray, God, tonight that these things that we looked at would just be a wonderful reminder of those things in our lives. And God, we pray all of these things in your precious Son's name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.